0: Welcome to Dish the Dirt, a light-hearted and fun podcast about Australian flower growers, their stories, knowledge, and insights into the industry. I'm your host Rebecca, and each week I speak to a different farmer and get them to dish the dirt. Dish the Dirt acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water, and community. We pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. Hello, and welcome to episode two of season six of Dish the Dirt. It's wonderful to be back with you again this week, and I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode if you would like to get in touch with me you can do so via dish the dirt podcast at gmail.com but this week we have Rebecca from Serenade Farms on the podcast it was lovely to speak to Rebecca a few weeks ago and we chatted all things daily hybridizing and their beautiful spot on Tambourine Mountain. Um, anyway, Serenade Farm is the realization of a lifelong dream for Rebecca and John, and they moved to their piece of paradise six years ago to seed their organic farm on an old avocado orchard. They are situated on the top of the rainforested Tambourine Mountain in the Gold Coast hinterland working in harmony with nature using regenerative principles they produce fresh flowers and organic veggies to the local community through their roadside honesty store, sorry local growers market and also directly to florists around southeast queensland Dahlias have become their primary focus, as I said they have been hybridising new specialty dahlias for the cut flower industry. The Dahlia breeding program has produced some very exciting new cultivars and plans are underway to expand this side of the farm even further in the coming years. Rebecca and John also run a local growers association called the Green Shed which we do speak about in the podcast and I think it's pretty exciting which operates a market each Sunday morning loyally supported by mountain regulars and celebrating truly local fresh seasonal produce and flowers. It was wonderful to speak to you Rebecca and the day after we spoke was Rebecca's birthday so happy birthday for birthdays past and I hope everyone enjoys this episode. If you would like to get in touch with Rebecca please keep on listening to the outro and I will give you details on that. Okay, let's get into it.
1: So much easier than i i thought i have
0: to download things and <laughs> the, no no the it's pretty if i can do it anyone can do it it's honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah if uh, I am the worst so I actually said to my husband the other night I was like what would I do if um, something ever happened to you because I wouldn't know I pretty much wouldn't know how to turn the tv on actually <laughs> no no nothing like
1: that would work would it <laughs>
0: yeah. oh, how's your day been
1: Yeah, good, 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 good. The sun came out, yay! Ah, wonderful. Through the other side of the third rain event for the season, so it's um, yeah, it's it's really nice to see the sun. I used to love the rain, but this this season has kind of made me think twice
0: about it. Yeah, have you been flood affected where you are?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, we have. It's it's weird to think of flooding on a mountain, but we're we're sort of lower land than. Areas above us, so we get just a heap of runoff, mm. and, and which just affects the garden so much. But our house isn't, you know, where you hear these stories of of so many other people, and it, to have a warm, dry bed, like you know, that that's such it, it
0: must be so hard
1: for so many other people. So yeah, yeah, yes. we're doing fine, really.
0: <laughs> yeah. So do you want to start off by telling us, um, or me, uh, where you're situated? Um in Australia? Yeah, sure. We're um on
1: Tambourine Mountain, which is in the Gold Coast hinterland. So we're just east Queensland. Uh, where because we're elevated, um, it doesn't get as hot. Like we we've lived in Brisbane all our life before we moved up here. So it's um well I, I guess you'd describe it as warm temperate rather than subtropical, because you okay. um, do get a couple of frosts each year and and that kind of thing, but it's beautiful it's you know it's, it's a rainforest mountain, it is just glorious.
0: it's the most beautiful place in the world. yeah, <laughs> you know. wonderful. And how did you end up there?
1: Well, we, we wanted to buy land. So we, we got married 25 years ago and, and we were young and idealistic and we wanted to be self-sufficient and have land and you know, whatever that meant to us at the time. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but yeah. um, we realised we'd, we'd need money. You know, We'd need to save money to buy land, which um, you know when you're 20 is, is, seems like a long way away. So um, we went overseas and we worked on organic farms uh, we did the whooping program where you work for so your board and food, and that was amazing. So we did that yeah, wonderful. and learned hints about it. So we, we knew what we want. We knew what, where we were going. Um, mm. But we came back to Australia we still had no money. We had no yeah. real horticulture, horticulture knowledge. So um, we went and studied horticulture and we started, you know, I worked in a nursery. John worked in a landscaping place. And we just stayed and stayed. But then we got distracted you know, life happened for 20 years. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, we, we didn't, you know, we grew, we had a veggie patch wherever we were, but we worked in entertainment, we were doing corporate events, we were doing nothing like what we're doing now. Um, and then it, it wasn't a midlife crisis, but it was just this point I was getting to towards 40 and I just thought, if we don't do this now, when are we going to actually do it? So we um, started looking for land and the beautiful thing wonderful thing about tambourine mountain is it's really close to brisbane it's really close to the gold coast all the places that at the time we were still working we potentially could still commute to those places so yeah wonderful um, we looked for two years before we found this place i'm um, really you know quite a quite a mission to find the right place but i'm so pleased we waited because we found this beautiful three acre little protected place that it had an avocado orchard on it, a really old avocado orchard. Yeah. You know, we couldn't do that commercially, but it's nice to have avocados.
0: <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> lovely.
1: five months a year. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's how we got here. We, we found the Three Acres and we've um, been here for six, six seven years now. So, um, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So
0: when you first got onto your property, what did you, uh, how did you begin? What was your first yes. um, job to do? Love food, Yeah, you know, we
1: we wanted to grow food. That was, you know, we'd always had a veggie patch. Uh, we wanted to, we did it we actually, when we moved here, we still sort of had our other business running. So we didn't think we needed to make an income out of our food. Um, yeah. It was all just for us. So we were planting a lot of different things. Um, just learning about the climate here, which was significantly different to Brisbane, which was surprising because it's only an hour drive away, but because it's cooler, it was quite different. Um, we started growing food and then we connected in with a local growers association that happens on the mountain here that had been running for about 20 years yeah. And we sort of started connecting with a lot of those people and they have a weekly market each week which we've got really heavily involved with now we run mm. it but it's we were able to sell a lot of the food excess food so you know rather than growing three zucchini plants and having enough zucchini for you you put 10 zucchini plants in and you can supply it for other people as well yeah lovely it it was sort of just evolved that way yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. and what made you decide to start growing dahlias oh it's um it's funny
1: actually I flowers weren't really on my radar at first I've always grown sweet peas because I love them the best yeah
0: they're amazing I've grown
1: yeah (laughs) incredible scent um and sunflowers and marigolds because you know, they were they were good for permaculture. They were good for insects. and, and that, So they've always been through our veggie patch. Yeah. But when we moved to the mountain, there was just – there is just grow so beautifully here. It's just the the perfect um, climate for it. You've got this beautiful well-drained soil. It gets cool enough, um, but we still get a lovely long season up here as well. Um, and I think what really did it for me was within the first week or so of moving here, so we were – so fresh and excited and the big transition of moving here. Across the road there was a little honesty store and mm-hmm. the lady who lived there has uh, hundreds and hundreds of dahlias. She's since moved away, which is really sad. But mm. I bought this incredible bunch of dahlias for five dollars and I put it on my dining table and I just went I am not a flower buyer and I, I feel really guilty about that now that <laughs> I'm in the <laughs> but I've never been someone who would go to a florist and buy flowers you know yeah just because I've always grown them around the garden I've never really been involved in that but I bought these flowers and they were just the most beautiful flowers I'd ever seen because I, I didn't really know dahlias at the time yeah and well, as it turns out everyone everyone on Tambourine Mountain grows dahlias so um you know the next year I was at another little roadside stall through winter and they had a whole lot of I had no idea what they were but I found out they were dahlia tubers <laughs> so oh, well. I just bought them and in the garden I had no idea what colors they were no idea what they'd look like but they were just beautiful and I fell in love so flowers are just now but you know it's a, it's a love affair with
0: them now I can't stop so, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so um
0: how how many dahlias uh have you put in and are you growing and I did see that you uh um, specializing and like trying to grow, hybridizing. Sorry, yeah. um, yes. new specialty dahlias. So, how did you get into that?
1: Yeah, well, uh, this last season I had around. Oh, I started with sixteen hundred before before the flooding. <laughs> it's mm. Sort of less now, less to divide, which is kind mm. of the, the bit of sweet side of it. But, yeah. yeah, we started with sixteen hundred plants this year. Um, yeah. three hundred and fifty of those were my new seedlings for so the breeding patch. Wow, um, that's yeah. That's it's the breeding side of it is the one that's really got me excited, and there's just so much potential in that. And it's it's why you know our our entire three acres is going to be daily as soon. It's just getting bigger <laughs> and bigger all the time. Yeah, um, but yeah, 16, it was sixteen hundred plants for cutting, which yeah, uh, you know, at a guess was doing us about two thousand stems a week. Um, yeah, well, wow. for me was heat because we've yeah. sort of scaled up a lot this year. Um, nowhere near enough for demand. We have just phenomenal sort of um, interest in buying them, which has just been incredible. Yeah, great. Um, but, yeah, but then the, the breeding side of it is a much longer-term thing. We, we just sell, sell the flowers that are produced from that, but we're looking at just producing some really more cut, cut flower-specific kind okay. of because The ones that have been bred in the past are much more for exhibition Um, for the competitions that they run and that kind of thing. And what I'm looking for is, you know, the kind of evolving cafe au lait into sort of different colours and different types and ones that hold better in the vase and, you know, those kinds of things. And and it's just because the genetics is so exciting and diverse with dahlias, you can get so
0: much variety coming through. Yeah, great. And how did you... Mm -hmm. um, how did you? Where did you learn how to sort of do this? Did you research it? Did you just talk to other Dahlia growers? Was there a really good platform in Australia that you found? Yeah, there's a couple
1: couple of amazing resources. Um, there's there's a lot of information on podcasts. A lot of podcasts. There's, there's um, yeah. Dr. Keith Hammett from New Zealand is an incredible hybridizer. Um, Santa Cruz dahlia's over in America wrote a great book that just sets things out so clearly. And that, that gave me the confidence to do it. I sort of had read bits and pieces on online forums. And, but when you actually start doing it, it's not difficult. It's, it's, it's something, and I, and I feel like the results that I've had through just one year of reading them, it, it's just phenomenal and it, it's not difficult. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I, I sort of, I feel like it's, it's almost just luck yeah what's about each time which is kind of fun it's kind of nice not
0: to have so much control yeah <laughs> um yeah, you say you say it. it's easy but i don't i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well the thing is you,
1: you can get really deep into it and you can get really geeky about it and i, I kind of love that side of it um yeah. recording everything and, and making sure you're sort of optimizing stuff but some of the results, because it was wet, like not only just summer but summer before, it was so wet that it was hard to do the hand pollinating, which is, is the really detailed work. That yeah. year, I just I just sort of, I did go about it with some kind of system, but a lot of it was just what the bees put together. And I just got these incredible new flowers that are sending people bonkers over <laughs> in America because they're, they're, they're a different form that haven't come out
0: before. Yeah,
1: years. wow. so honestly there's lots of luck to it
0: (laughs) yeah wonderful and just taking you back you said you cut about 2,000 stems a week from your patch this year are you working full-time on the farm at the moment pretty much pretty much like
1: we we also um I also teach harp I'm a I'm a music teacher as well yeah but that's not because I have to I think you know if if we wanted to be full-time in the farm, we absolutely could be and it would mm-hmm. support us. Um, it's just that I love doing that. I love my student. It's only sort of, you know, for a couple of afternoons a week that I do yeah. that. And my husband, who works on the farm as well, also builds beautiful harps. So we do that because that's another passion of ours, Yeah, not because we have to. Um, but, yeah, it, it takes most of my time every day out there, sort of between the flowers, which has sort of taken a big part of the time, but also the veggies, um, which the veggies are a lot more work for the money. <laughs> yeah. That's the other sort of thing. Just, uh, not only do I love the flowers, but they're actually a lot more of a, a viable option for growing, I think. It, it was it was almost disappointing to find out how people won't pay for food, but they will pay for flowers. Like I understand why, but um, it, it's interesting too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, completely. And you said there's been so much demand for them. Who are you selling to?
1: Oh, we, we've got sort of three avenues, I guess. Um, mm. One is the florists, and um, this year we we that sort of exploded for us, and I, I've just been overwhelmed with support. It's it's amazing. The and and I think things are really shifting. Like I haven't been involved with florists for a long time, but. The number of them who really passionately want local, uh, they want sort of something that's really fresh, they can come and I've cut it that morning and they can pick it up by 9am. And um, that's organic, you know, that's the other sort of side that we're not certified, but they're organic. People are, are yeah. using flour, sort of using flowers flour, chemicals all through them and those kinds of things. But we, I think one of the most challenging parts of this season has been not having enough flowers for all the demand. It's I want these beautiful, lovely people who keep coming to me asking, you know, can I have a bucket on Tuesday? And I just don't have any more. I just yeah, I really want to be able to supply. But we we were able to sell every stem that bloomed that was of good quality. We sold every stem we had, and we could have probably sold ten times as many. And we've we've had people contact us wanting to have a standing order of a couple of thousand a week, and we just don't want to expand that big, but. The, the demand is just so there for a, a good quality product it's yeah
0: just,
1: it's fantastic it's one and i'm sure it's things like this podcast and a lot of the awareness that people have been sort of bringing up for the locally grown flowers that's doing it because well and, and maybe it's also that it's just not enough supply in queensland but that could be yeah. part of the situation too but it's um yeah, I, feel, I, I honestly feel like if we had 10 times as many flowers,
0: we'd still be short. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. And when you first started cutting flowers to sell, did you chat to anyone sort of about stem length? Did you find that really hard to find any research about or to find the information on how to sort of sell a cut flower or you just decided this is how you're doing it and that's your way? Yeah.
1: A bit, of, a bit of that, like I, I tend to, um, I, I would talk to the florists a little bit, like I, I sort of, I'm, I'm a chronic people pleaser and I just wanted them to be perfect for people, so I, I would ask, are these right, are these the kind that you want, you know, do you want them longer, do you want all of the leaves off, or can some foliage at the top be on, and, and those kind of ridiculous, you know, little Um, questions I'd ask them so I think it's talking to a lot of florists there's a couple of um, fantastic groups on Facebook where there's a lot of micro farmers who are connecting in that way and a lot of that sort of those kind of details are available there Um, yeah if you ask questions you know that people are uh, it's such a beautiful sharing the the growers are just so supporting each other and I, I think because there's so many people starting out now there's a lot yeah. of people asking questions so the information is there but even we've, we've got a couple of other small flower farms on the mountain here and they're just so supportive and I can ask them those questions as well so um it was a little bit a little bit mm, I was a bit nervous selling florists because it was a world that I didn't know But yeah. they've they've just been so supportive and so so appreciative of for everything we've given them so yeah,
0: yeah and amazing uh,
1: yeah, and we also sell direct. So I, I think that was only one of the three peak sort of places we sell through um, because we sell, we've got an honesty cart outside our house and that's been just so well supported as well. We we get people driving up the mountain you know, for an hour or two hours to come up and buy our flowers off the honesty store. It's, it's kind of crazy. I'd never do that, but it's, it's just beautiful, the, the people that have connected through that. And, yeah. um, and then... Yeah, and then the local community support us through all these little boutiques and shops up here. We've got a few different outlets and our little community of um, growers on the mountain that we sell through as well. Yeah, great. It's just fantastic. Which It also means all those sort of more community places. Like my Honesty Store, the local people are happy to have flowers that aren't quite 100% perfect too, which is just really lovely. So when you're an organic grower, you might have, a few petals nibbled by a grasshopper or, or something like that yeah those kind of flowers that are just or then the stems might be a little little bit not quite so straight I'd never want to give them to the florist but the people out that are buying on my honesty store are quite happy to have those on their dining
0: table so yeah, <laughs> yeah and nice. lovely which is fantastic and I also think you know I met Myself as a florist, I actually really love the bendy, weird stems. I always love, oh, yeah. you know, I love the odd balls, but that's, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's me. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so do you sell through the green shed as well, which is the local market that you have? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah we do. Okay. We, um, so that, that's how I sell a lot of flowers through the weekend because we've got a great local um, community support there, but we also get a lot of tourists on the Sunday as well. Um, To our little growers market, so it's it's kind of like a co-op. So everybody, whatever you've got, you bring along, and we sort of sell it communally through the through the same counter, and then you know it gets distributed accordingly. But it's um, it's a lovely way to do it because it means that if you have a week where you you know when it rains, everybody's stock is low, obviously, but if you have a week where you don't have much, you can still have this market happening, and it's not like it falls apart. So it's a it's a really for small farmers it's just such a fantastic way of going
0: yeah wonderful and um uh, what do you what do you see your farm being in sort of five years do you think
1: the breeding side of it the hybridizing I I would love to be growing a couple of thousand of all my own dahlias. that that would be my dream So it of, to yeah. have flowers that that we've created from scratch, that's something that, that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, so amazing. That makes me so excited. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do see that we'll keep up with some of the food production, the veggies and the perennials, um, but the flowers are, are the things that are really exciting us. And I can see that's the direction we'll go in the next few years, just increasing that gradually, gradually until that. You know, it, it's always good to to have different sort of things to in case you have a tough year and it does rain like it did this yeah. year. but yeah yeah absolutely the focus will be on the breeding though
0: yeah and how has the rain affected your dahlias this season is it yes. was
1: it from the cut flower side of things through the season it wasn't I huge deal like the the fantastic things about dahlias is is they put on new buds and new flowers just continuously so you Mm. sort of lose a week or so of of good cut flowers because they get bruised like the the rain is just so heavy and so intense you just need to cut any for about a week you know you you just the bruise the petals are bruised um so it didn't because we've got nice long season of about four or five months that didn't impact us so much but what the rain did was rot the tubers so yeah. that means that we're going to be affected for next season and also our, our tuber sales, which is a big part of our business plan. That's just out the window now. So that, that yeah. just goes, you know, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been tough because you, you sort of, you mitigate against a lot of things, but you just don't expect to be that extreme three times too not not once not twice but three times this latest one you just numb to it now it's just, yeah you, you know what's coming you know what you're going to find when you go out there after all the rain and there's nothing more you can do but then you're just grateful for what you do have I've, I've got a whole lot of cuttings that are, are safe and sound in my little greenhouse in my little ark. <laughs> so, yeah you know they're, they're protected from the rain and I'm just grateful for that
0: yeah yeah I'm sorry to hear that because it is hard you know um flower farming's a tough gig as it is and um, just sort of when you've been building up you know every year to then sort of being knocked back it's it's sad but I'm sure that you'll come out on top after after next year
1: yeah I think the thing is too you know that everybody else is in the same boat Mm. um we you know commiserate through Instagram connection with all the all the other eastern seaboard farmers you know we've all been talking and you have days where you sit really melancholic and then you, you just have a chat with somebody else about it and you realize they're going through it too. And we'll have good years. You know, I think that the support there and it's, it's also in our local little growers sort of co-op as well, you know that everybody else is in the same situation and it, it just helps you, you know, pick stuff up and go, it's okay. You know, this is, <laughs> this is coming. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it. it's tough, but there's, you know, you're working with this amazing partner of nature that. You, know, you
0: also get so much back from it as well. Yeah. And with your season being a bit sort of longer, maybe four to five months, do you find that the dahlias are uh, perhaps best in the middle of the season or are they sort of the same quality throughout? Because I know when I buy um, sort of end of season dahlias here, the stems are a bit thinner, you know, the flower heads maybe aren't as big. Centres begin yes. to blow. Do you get that there or not really?
1: We do, but that's okay. a lot more dependent on the um, daylight hours. So that okay. will happen regardless of when they start. So we're fortunate that we get a real head start at about two months. We, we can plant in August or September, depending on you know, our frosts aren't severe enough to really make mm. a serious stint in them when we plant. So we can plant beginning of September. So we get about two months more than down south. So okay that that end of season happens around the same time because as the days get shorter that's when your scents slow and and the plants do get tired but you also you feed them and you look after them and you cut them deep and you do a lot of there's a lot you can do to sort of maintain them they yeah i, I did find when i first grew them they got tired a lot earlier in the season so by about february march they were kind of struggling a little bit but yeah. this last season, I've seen them through, to you know, even despite the weather, they, they were beautiful up all the way through March. They were doing really well. So yeah, wonderful. I, I think it's, we're, we're really lucky to, to actually have those extra couple of months.
0: Yeah, and what do you feed them? A, a whole lot of different things.
1: A lot of organic fertiliser, we, we put a heap of composting when we're planting and, and mm. prior to that we sort of build up the soil because we, because we're doing it organically, we really have to – have that soil ecology right. We we have to make sure that the plants are going to be able to get get started well. And then we use organic life fertilizer, which is just a general fertilizer. And then as you go through the season, as the plants get big enough, you need to pull back on the nitrogen and and up other things so that you can use organic sources of of things like potassium and phosphorus, which is what they need later in the season or as soon as they start flowering really. Um, So you just get organic sources of those. We use a heap of fish emulsion too. So um, we do lots of fertil- foliar fertilising um, mm-hmm. fish emulsion and those kind of products. So, yeah, it's, it's a constant thing. I feel like with, the, with the 1,600 plants this year, I felt like I was always, you know, you'd start in one area and by the time you got to the end, you have to start at the beginning again. <laughs> yeah. With things like foliar feed. it just never ends. But um, it
0: makes such a difference. It means you do get
1: the, the flowers staying nice for a long time.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And what's been your biggest learning curve in the last six years? Yeah, I
1: I think it's a recurring theme
0: for me in my whole life. It's more than gardening but it's not to
1: rush it, not to try and do all the things straight away and really hard and plant all the flowers and plant all the vegetables and do everything straight away. So to pull back and slow down and those kind of things and, and to give, a smaller number of plants a lot more love and you're going to get a lot more out of them but so it, mm. it's a sort of it, it makes sense when you really think about it but when you just want to want to go hard and be the biggest and the, the most amazing and and do a great job you want a whole lot of things and I, i'm still struggling against that wanting to expand but knowing our own limitations and that we do want to keep some kind of work-life balance <laughs> so yeah. not be out there you know constantly uh, so i i think that's the biggest learning curve is just slowing down and not over-planting, really.
0: Yeah. And what, has, seeds. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what has been your biggest achievement?
1: Uh, look, I think the, there's been a couple of real highlights for me and and one of them was this year I wanted to start, um, we, we were doing a once-a-week delivery down to the Gold Coast, you know, so that we could access a lot more florists to, weren't prepared to drive up to the mountain, which is really reasonable because it was quite a hike. Um, mm. So we were doing that. And the first really big delivery we did when we had a whole truckload, a ute load, it's not it's a truck, it, it sounds much bigger than it is, <laughs> but <laughs> a whole ute load of buckets of these beautiful dahlias. And I just looked at them and I couldn't believe that you know only six months beforehand I had envisioned, oh, we're going to have like a whole carload of stuff to take down to the Gold Coast. And to actually have them and be so proud of everything single stem was, I was really proud, proud of. Um, so that, that was a beautiful moment for me, I guess. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then the daily breeding, it's just been, you know, that's, that's been, and as I said, I, I, I don't know whether I can take all that much credit for what's come out of that, but just to do it, just to, to give that a go and risk it and, and sort of have a portion of the patch that was all, a gamble I guess and it's come out with the most
0: beautiful flowers that's been a great achievement yeah yeah fantastic and um coming from sort of the regenerative and organic background do you yeah. buy in or when you first started did you buy in tubers that were grown organically or it doesn't really affect them and doesn't matter um no,
1: it's a really good question it's like the tubers oh, I'm not I'm probably not fussy enough in a way. Like I don't, I'm not overly concerned if a tube has been grown with chemical fertilizers because yeah. that's not going to affect my soil ecology. Because it's, okay. you know the the actual tube itself contains. Um, it's not going to. It's not like buying in a whole lot of um, compost or something that's got a whole lot of residue in it that's going to affect. It's going to kill mm. all the this beautiful, you know, biology in my soil. So. Yeah. I uh, I guess a lot of the people that I was buying from I know are also organic, so the majority of them are anyway. I I would buy so particular cultivars that i really, really just had to have in a in a very irrational, emotional way because it's just the most beautiful flower, I would just buy them anyway and, and yeah. sort of risk the possibility that it's been grown to that. But I don't. I don't think that there's actually more of a risk. You're going to bring in virus and sort of bacterial problems anyway. That yeah. have any kind of effect with, with the um, organic side of it or
0: non-organic side of it. Yeah, yeah. And have you had to battle much with the sort of dahlia virus? And do you? do the whole dip your snips and bleach
1: yeah, between yes, I've got yeah the bleach thing and the two sets of snips when I go through and it's a real pain and it's really it sort of slows everything down but I do um, yeah I've had to throw out like I was I was being really really cautious this year particularly because I bought in so much more stock this year um, before then we had grown a, a lower number of different Um, cultivars but sort of more of them whereas this year I just wanted to trial a heap of different other ones so Mm. there was the risk of bringing in a low virus because I bought them from a lot of different places um so I just had a really low tolerance and anything that I was suspicious of just had to go which also breaks your heart if it's something that you were really set on growing and you just have to throw it away but yeah yeah, I'm I'm pretty careful with that because it's I I think the other thing is you just know that once it gets through your patch once it starts spreading because we get a lot of broad mites up here, and so if they tap the tap of one earlier and then jump onto the next one, it's spreading just so easily.
0: Yeah, okay. And hmm. um broad mites, what are they? <laughs> and what yeah. do they do? <laughs> there's, there's tiny, tiny, tiny things
1: that you can't actually see without a microscope, but you can yeah. see the kind of they don't affect the flowers at all so that's a fantastic thing so luckily you you, you cut the flower and you strip the foliage and nobody would ever know they had broad mites. okay it, it does sort of affect the plant vitality and so it's not good for it to get sort of a large amount of them um I've had them every season that I've that I've grown dahlias here when it gets really warm they tend to come through and there's certain cultivars that they're just particularly bad but we just use predator mites on them we go bugs for bugs and and you just get these little tubes of of mites that again you can't really see they're just all through vermiculite, and you just scatter them around and really they they control them really quite well like we don't ever have zero broad mites but we we don't it's not a big problem you're you're sort of in areas of the patch that get infected and then you just get on top of it again
0: yeah, and would that be your biggest pest or do you have anything else that you find I mean, grasshoppers. really? Grasshoppers are okay. real grasshoppers yeah. just, They just jump
1: in, they eat the beautiful petals, they just make a mess of flowers and or you can use really deadhead them. So, um, And there's not much you can do about that organically or either, I guess it's probably sprays, so but we don't even look at that. So it's just a matter of you go out really early in the morning when I go out anyway, and it's slightly cooler. So you can catch them easier they're slower so you squish them it's terrible
0: oh yeah
1: sorry you want to hear you know like the lovely flower stories and I'm squishing
0: grasshoppers but that, that's no,
1: It's our grasshopper
0: control. Yeah. Yeah, good. No, I just remember like the first time I sort of went out and got all the aphids off the roses, and it's actually Mm -hmm. kind of, it's just so, your hands just end up so thick with kind of aphid goo. And I can just imagine like a grasshopper (laughs) is pretty big when you're squishing it. It's just like, oh. oh. We get get, tiny,
1: tiny grasshoppers actually. Oh, okay. They're not big, scary looking ones, they're like tiny ones. And they're they're little green, little green yeah. Boxes, But yeah, so and I always wear gloves when I'm doing that. So I
0: just yeah wish it that nobody knows. And <laughs> did you do you if you don't mind me asking this, I can cut it out mm. if you do mind me asking, but what sure. did you find um your biggest costs were when you started up?
1: Mm. Mm. I I would have thought tubers were like and they yeah. did. we, we spent a, we did not at first like the the first tubers I bought and people who buy tubers are just going to think this is outrageous but I was buying bags of tubers from this little honesty store for $2.50 a bag and there'd be we need tubers and it was just ridiculous so that that was my first experience buying tubers and I had no idea you could pay 25 or $30 for one tuber plus postage
0: um yeah so
1: So I guess last year, because we sold our entertainment business, I had some capital and I did invest in tubers. Um, So Mm -hmm. from a money point of view, that was definitely our biggest investment. But it's actually surprising the amount of money you can spend on mulch and compost. Like we get truckloads and truckloads of mulch because we're organic. It's all organic matter and it it actually adds up (laughs) quite a lot. Yeah, so things like buying in the mulch. We we now buy a lot more mulch. And, you know, wood chip mulch is what we use a lot in our garden, and yeah. we compost a lot of that down as well. So we don't buy as much compost in as anymore. Um, for yeah, our own. but yeah, that's actually a big cost.
0: Yeah, and did you find that hard um, to find organic mulch and compost, or it's readily available?
1: Um, it's we we found it you know we I think that's one of the other really great things about having the connections in you know, with the local producers association the you know the local co-op because mm. you get to know people and they have sources for things and um, the the mulch is great because it's just the local tree loppers that we've got you know we, we buy it from them so it's it's all clean you know branches from trees that they're mulching down anyway so and they yeah. bring that in. so that's that's actually great and that's the the bulk of what we actually get so um yeah Yeah, it it could be difficult I think depending on where you were it could be difficult but we haven't had any problems getting organic Mm. input yeah
0: yeah great and I guess aside from this season um in your daily patch do you are you running irrigation through them how do you normally water or you you don't we we have
1: some like we've do the little micro sprinklers? We've sort of put them through on tube, on, on um, bigger tubes, and had them, these little micros. We've got we sunk a bore when we moved here. Um, yeah, was a, it, actually, that that by far was our biggest outlay financially. Okay. I of that, um, but you just in a dry year, which we had sort of so before the all this rain. We just had you know the years with the bushfires and the all the droughts. Mm. We we couldn't have done it. We just couldn't have done it without a bore. So. Um, yeah. When when we're establishing the dahlias, we just use actually overhead sprinklers because it's just so much more effective. But in those first months or so, when you're just putting the tubers in, and then because we mulch so heavily, we just have a really minimal amount of irrigation needed for them. Uh, we, yeah. you know, in a really dry year, we will have to sort of supplement with irrigation. But um, yeah, and this year we haven't sprinkled once, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's been, yeah, yeah, quite the opposite problem. So yeah. yeah of- obviously but yeah with without that ball and without the water we couldn't do it 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 would just would be too difficult
0: yeah and what um have you really enjoyed about getting into the flower industry oh look the
1: people to be honest i i really had an no idea and it, it it sounds a bit corny but every florist that i have met has just been the most generous kind appreciative they're just so grateful for what we do which it is refreshing because I've, I've come from a very competitive industry with entertainment and corporate events um, that sort of things the people are just so beautiful <laughs> in this industry yeah. they're, they're, and you know look, maybe it's also because it's the people who have reached out and they want to support local flowers and they' you know that that sort of is a fairly good filter for for people anyway that they're prepared to drive all the way up here to to buy our flowers anyway but yeah, yeah the people the people have just been
0: the most beautiful part of it yeah that it- way
1: is gorgeous too of course
0: yeah <laughs> that's, that's, that's just skipping through the patch <laughs> yeah oh of course we do that all the time. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: there, are, there are moments though there are some really idyllic moments where i just go i can't believe that this is real like this is you know the yeah. third song and the you know the, literally walking through these, these rows and rows of beautiful flowers so you do have those very small number of magic moments where you're not up to your knees in mud and you're digging out rotten tubers, you know, that there, there are better days.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. Is there anything that you have noticed or come across in the industry that you would love to change or that you think that we need more education around?
1: Not personally. Like, I'm mm. aware of a lot of the industry, um, the issues that are, that are there in terms of imports and the use oh, incredibly excessive use of plastic, but we're we're not sort of um, involved in any of that side of things because we're not. Yeah. You know, we we were um, supplying a whole a small wholesale market on the Gold Coast, but they and they sort of they probably have a lot of plastic use. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure that. But we didn't need to. We would just supply them bunches. We, we did rubber band them, but we would just supply them in buckets of banded bunches. And, and yeah. Be, um, I think. I, I hope that there's a lot of um, grassroots change happening because that, that's what I'm seeing and sensing. And, and certainly everybody I'm coming into contact with really does genuinely care about having minimal amount of waste, having, you know, supporting the local growers and, and those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but but
1: maybe I'm just fortunate that that's the part of the industry that I'm seeing. I might be just sort of,
0: Yeah. Lucky no, I there. think I think what you're saying is right. I think there definitely has been a shift towards buying more locally grown and also mm-hmm. everyone wanting to make a change towards making our industry um, more sustainable and there being less plastics. Um, yep. I guess it's just one of those things that it would be great if we had a bigger body that could lobby the government for help with these sorts of things and just... The barriers mm-hmm. of entry to getting into flower farming as well but anyway it's a oh, whole another topic yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a and whole another you know, podcast
1: oh it truly really is and, and yeah. in terms of actually getting if if you were looking to buy land to actually start a farm I, I don't know how to do it like you know we we spent 20 years saving up and, and stepping up and, and doing it to get the kind of beautiful red organic soil and the place where you can sink a bore and get beautiful fresh water like it's Mm. not everywhere you know you you, you're sort of lucky to be able to find a good block that's even half affordable these days so that side of initially getting into the growing and that's why you know the, the supply is so low and the demand is so high because it's actually you know in particular on Tambourine Mountain now especially after the last couple of years Mm. It, it just would not be viable it really wouldn't we, we yeah. were fortunate to buy even six years ago before it went silly so yeah,
0: yeah. and mm. who has inspired you the most on your journey in flower farming so far um i would
1: say the the local flower farmers the the beautiful little lady who who lived across the road from us when we first moved here that that's the kind of thing that inspired me like a, yes i see these incredible farms on Instagram that look amazing and they're huge and, and, you know, people like Florette who have inspired a lot of people but I don't know whether that I, I don't relate to that. I don't I don't feel. Mm-hmm. Whereas the people around me that I see are kind of, you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and coming down to the market um, with their flowers and they're the people who inspire me because they, and my customers too you know, that, that keeps you going so much. You, you mm-hmm. just wanna please them, you wanna you wanna create this beauty for them because you know what they're going to do with that or you know that they're gonna give it to their great aunt who just needs to pick me up. You know, it's, it's, my customers just make me so inspired to, to do it more and more and more. <laughs> That's it's, yeah. it's, it's you know, it's not easy money and it's not an easy gig most days, but gosh, it's satisfying.
0: It's so satisfying. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's so satisfying. I love it for oh, those yeah. exact same reasons, I think. Um, mm. Not that I grow flowers, but just forestry-wise. No, but it's <laughs> being important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um, being part, I just wanted to touch quickly on the grain shed, which is yeah. the part of the local market that you're part of. How did you get into that and do you think that um, – you know, starting up something like that, how, how would somebody do that if they, you know, they had a group of um, farmers mm. close by and sort of wanted to emulate this sort of thing?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's incredible and it, it it works so well and it's, it's such a simple thing like this is it's an association so it's an mm. incorporated association there's a committee and my husband's the president and i'm the secretary and treasurer as, as it turns out now because a lot of the older growers are gone right It's your turn you're you're young yeah. now you're 40 40 is young in this. Association. <laughs> yeah but i guess the thing is this is there's a lot of retirees that got involved in this originally when it was set up um because they were just looking to something on the side but now it's a lot of younger people who are moving up to the mountains they're just trying to do it on the side. They've got jobs. They're trying to do it a little bit, but they don't have enough produce to have even a whole market store by themselves. But yeah. they can fill a table, you know, they could fill half a table and some weeks they might only have four bunches of radish, but they, they can do that. And, you know, I, I can sometimes have 30 bunches of dahlias there and some weeks I'll only have four at the end of the season because that's all I've got left. Um, yeah. it, it's a great, system like all, all the the way that it works is that everybody just joins this association they bring what they can each sunday and which also relies on our beautiful customer base accepting that when we've had a really rainy difficult week there might not be so much to buy but they're also they're so supportive and loyal of us as well because it's it's just it's a win-win because they're getting yeah. the freshest, most local you know beautiful produce as well and flowers as well so I, I really see it as a bit of a formula that would be so valuable for so many places. And this one's been running for 20 odd years because the mountain has been sort of, they used to produce a lot of avocados and citrus and those kind of things. And they used to actually lobby industry, sort of, you know, they were a bit of an industry body from as a regional thing. But it's moving yeah. to a lo- local suppliers and local um, customers kind of thing now. Okay. But I think there's a lot of, you know, it, it wouldn't be difficult to start something like this in a local area just through the Facebook connection and, and those kind of things and just start doing it. it, it yeah. It's, again, like, like my experience with sort of thinking, oh my goodness, where well, am I going to sell all these flowers and being overwhelmed with the demand for them? I think the same is if you, if you set up some kind of marketplace, people are just so wanting this, genuinely wanting this connection mm. to direct with the growers whether it's food or whether it's flowers um yeah, it's and it you know it works it, it it sort of shouldn't work because we're a whole lot of people in the same area growing the same kinds of things yeah. going to the same people but it really does because we all genuinely support each other and uh, there's just something about people who grow or something about flower people as well but <laughs> you just yeah it's, it's a supportive kind of community so um i, I think it could work In all sorts of different areas with that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it
1: does take someone. Someone sort of putting themselves out there and volunteering. Like we spend a lot of time doing all the silly things, like having making parking signs and and things extraneous to that because we're running it now. But you know that it's worth it to us because you you also get all the other benefits of having this lovely sense of community and sense of connection, which is which is actually really important to you. Your mental health as well as anything
0: so yeah, yeah it's that way too. yeah I find it interesting because I think something like that could definitely work for a group of smaller flower farmers who want to supply to florists you know if they set something like that up even if it was Absolutely. midweek, yeah. and said hey we're in this parking lot you know yeah. once a week and we might only have like five bunches of this but this other person might have another five bunches and just come within these times and you know get what you need I think that that could oh, work really well um yeah. and be sort of along the same basis of is what you're doing um yeah so I think I don't know if anyone's out there and listening to this and I think yeah, you and know, it really can work and it, it really doesn't all that much, particularly now
1: that we're all connected on social media. I, I mm. think that it really doesn't, like, we will sort of just put a post out each Sunday if it, it's a bit quiet and suddenly the community rallies and they're all down there buying, you know, whatever we've got to sell them. Um, but yeah. I absolutely agree with, because I, th- I think, you know, there's so many small, and, and this is the way to make it work, so many small growers, and if you come together, then it's worth it for the florist to come there at a certain time and and you just all you're all just making the place and the time for it to, to facilitate it so it's not difficult then and because yeah. i do a I sort of a similar thing if somebody's coming driving up to the mountain to buy my dahlias, i give them the, the contacts of the foliage farm that's on the mountain i give them the contacts of the other couple of flower farms who you yeah, know they grow differently some of them they grow dahlias as well but the, it makes it worth the trip if they can come and get a couple of buckets Me, but then also go down and get their foliage and everything else from the farms as well. I think that that's you know that it's it's coming together, which is just so valuable and not that hard. It's really not that difficult. You do have to have the right people who are all wanting everybody to benefit from it, but yeah, too self-serving. But that's yeah, that's good.
0: I think I've that's the one thing I've learned within this industry is that. I don't, I really don't think that there is a lot of competition between growers. I know rose growers who are growing the same roses who still support each other and, you know, foliage growers who are like right next to each other growing the same types of foliage, but we just do have so much demand in this country Mm. that everyone gets to sell all of their things. So I think that's wonderful, you know, like you've said, just coming together and sharing contacts and helping people out especially when they're driving up to your farm to buy other things is wonderful yeah
1: absolutely. yeah absolutely and I've found that I haven't actually found any exceptions to that any of the other growers that I've dealt with like a few of them have had sort of bigger events or weddings and they've just sort of contacted me and said, look I just need an extra bucket of cafe LA's to mm. fill this you know I've promised them these and mine aren't working and they're just sharing beautiful people without you know there's no exception to that everybody that I've dealt with is so good so yeah I'm I'm sure there are people people but that it's it's a beautiful industry for that and I think people are also potentially scared to to reach out to other growers when they first start because they don't realize that and the more you do the more that's
0: supported and it's
1: you know it's reinforced that everybody's there to support each other
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah, so if you had to, these are sort of questions I, silly questions I always ask. Um, I love these
1: questions. They're one of my
0: favourite parts of the podcast now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you had to leave your farm quickly, what three things would you take farming related? Yeah, yeah
1: my, mine are so uh, impractical, absolutely ridiculous. I would have to take my greenhouse, which is this massive big, you know, polycarbonate thing. Yeah. So integral to what I do, like that's what I do all my propagation. I just anyway, any rainy day, I'm stuck in the greenhouse. So I would take the whole greenhouse. I don't know what truck it's going to fit on. But that's <laughs> for me. Um, You've got a really magic carpet
0: in this. Yeah, it's good. Okay, yeah. Good.
1: Um, without a doubt, and this is probably without without question, this is actually my number one thing. I would take my precious, precious seedlings that I've created this year in the breeding patch because they don't exist anywhere else. They're irreplaceable. They're they're something that I've poured my heart and soul into and I would be so upset to loosen um so I would take uh, if I can take all of them as one thing I, I think I'd take all of them but otherwise there's just one particular one that I'd take um yeah. and just all the seeds that I've collected as well so I'm just going to lump them all together i yeah you're, you're I'm allowed go, go magic carpet yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and also my field notes if like I've got just I'm, like I, I keep some stuff on my phone, and Instagram's the most incredible documenting kind of diary thing. But I've also just got a paper and pen that I just keep all my notes. So what does well? What what I planted when? And the number of times I refer back to those notes, it's it's that's so important to me. And again, it's something that I can't just go down and buy another one of those because it's <laughs> yeah. all that information. So that'll that'll do me. That'll fit on the magic carpet, that one. Yeah, great. It's easier to grab. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And what is your favourite tool? Oh, a stand-up
1: weeding tool is is my favourite tool and that's because I'm getting old. I'm 46 tomorrow and my back is... Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. But this this stand-up weeding tool is just my... It's like a little hoe that's got little prongs and you can... You can walk along a weed. Like it's, you don't have to get down on your hands and knees and weed everything. Like there's some weeds that have to be that. Um, if you're a if you're an organic grower and you have to weed, you know how important yeah. that is. But yeah, that's my favourite tool by far. I've, I've actually got about six different versions of it, but there's one particular one that I'd take.
0: That <laughs> sounds yeah. amazing. I wish they would make a tool like that for planting foxgloves, which is what I've oh. been doing for the last oh. few weeks. And
1: planting seedlings is the worst on your back of, the, of yeah. all the things planting seedlings
0: is harsh yeah it <laughs> really <confident>. is
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. and
0: <laughs> what's on your playlist when you're cutting picking oh.
1: yes. yeah I, I have so many different genres the algorithms in Spotify just must, they just must not get me at all but mm-hmm. um I some days I'm really cruisy kind of to indie folk kind of stuff, That that's a lot of my listening, yeah. But then I just have to get stuff done. It, it's usually, yeah, 70s disco funk kind of stuff, yeah. Moving. So that, that kind of you know, silly, cheesy, cheesy disco, there's, there's nothing better, that yeah. Nothing better, that yeah. Neighbors think I'm mad, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> there's a lot of death and podcasts as well like this and and I I get into really geeky neurobiology kind of stuff and and that stuff as well but that's really boring so we'll just stick to
0: San Francisco yeah that sounds good
1: (laughs) (laughs) um is
0: there anything I haven't touched on that you wanted to share about your farming experience or your farm
1: put the money I think the honesty cart system is just such a beautiful, beautiful thing about people, that people can come there and buy your flowers, that people will still be honest. And I think more than anything else I love about the honesty cart is that you're trusting other people too. And I think that's really valuable for people to feel that trusted so that they come along and, and they know that they can just buy them and nobody's watching and they put the money in there. And I've never really experienced honesty carts until we moved to a regional area. And I just think they're so valuable in so many, so many ways. And yeah, it's it's actually one of my favourite things is is cutting my flowers and making these little bunches out there and just knowing that it's just come along to the cart. So yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I um, honesty, cats. I have there's a Daffodil Farm. Well, they're not a farm. They just have a big paddock that somebody planted all these daffodils and yeah. um and they cut them and they put them down at their front gate anyway I ended up just buying so many many of them from their <laughs> farm gate that I went up and knocked on their door and I said oh no I left my card actually and I said I'm a florist I keep buying all of your bunches I'm so sorry yeah. um can I you know can I buy buckets from you and they were really they were so great they were happy for me to go in and just cut my own buckets in the end and yeah yeah, it was a really nice way of kind of connecting with them and they're such beautiful people and, yeah, it was cool. So I love them too, actually. Um,
1: and we get what I call little love notes in there as well. Like I just have people sending me, and it's always written on, you know, some chewing gum packet or, you know, some random thing that someone found in their car. And I yeah. just write little notes saying how grateful they are or like, I owe you 70 cents because I was a little bit short today. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've got this little collection of love notes from my cart as well. I just think it's it's just such a, a beautiful concept. And I, I'm just so happy that something like that can still survive these days, you know, when yeah. there's so much grotty, yucky stuff in the world. Yeah, <laughs> completely. Well. Yeah. So
0: yeah, yeah. And I think it's <laughs> great and it's a viable thing for people when they want to sell the flower, the excess flowers or maybe the flowers oh. that they – we're not 100% yeah. perfect, you know, but That's are still,
1: easy.
0: you know, perfect for a table. They're just not event flowers.
1: That's yeah. right. And yeah, and it, it's so stress-free. Like, you know, for someone I suffer from anxiety all the time and I just want to do the right thing. And with the honesty card, I, you know, it's it, it's like busking. You know, when, when you're a musician and you're busting, you You just make a bunch and you put it out there. Someone can buy
0: it if they want, but they don't have to. There's no pressure. It's just no pressure for everybody. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. So I wanted to ask you as well, how would anyone get in touch with you if they wanted to buy flowers from you next season or maybe perhaps gain gain some advice about starting up a market Mm. or if you're happy for that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm probably most active on Instagram, realistically. Like I'm, I'm pretty... I, I find that format really difficult to get back to messages because if I miss one and then 20 come in in the in the meantime uh, you know I miss them but um, otherwise people can contact me by email too through my website yeah. so um, that's, I'm, I'm a little bit slower to get back to emails but at least I never miss them Yeah. <laughs> so that's good yeah 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 that's the, the easiest ways and yes. Um, yeah i'm more than happy to it, it's always just going to be my advice and my perspective and and you know it doesn't work for everyone but mm. more than happy to talk to people about dahlias. i love talking about dahlias, <laughs> so that's, yeah whether it's breeding or growing or you know whatever not not arranging that's not my world but <laughs>
0: anything yeah. else absolutely yeah, yeah. fabulous oh well thank you so much and thanks for jumping on again and finishing the end of that no um, yeah thank, thank you. you it was such a wonderful chat and i really enjoyed it i think people get gain a lot from it so thank you you oh. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for giving up your time and having a chat to me on Dish the Dirt. If you would like to get in touch with Rebecca, you can do so via Instagram, serenade underscore farm underscore tambourine underscore mountain, shortened to MTN. Uh, That's all for this week. If you would like to get in touch with me, like I said in the intro, you can do so via email, dishthedirt at dish the dirt podcast sorry at gmail.com or you can send me a message on instagram or leave me a review on apple podcast that is the most wonderful thing to do because then more people can find this podcast and get excited about what australian flower farmers are doing until next week i hope that everyone is staying dry and warm and getting all of your winter jobs done Um, keep being blooming fabulous